If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Job 35. Job 35 deals with the question that we have been looking at for much of the book of Job and one that is asked throughout history. That is, is there any advantage to being good? Uh, does it profit a person to be good? The connection between virtue and blessing, between wickedness and curse have been asked throughout human history. The person who has uh, financial problems or family problems or health problems asks, what have I done to deserve this? I've tried to be a good person. And why is this happening to me? It is in particular that question that the prosperity gospel and the therapeutic gospel characteristically, characteristically ask and purport to answer. The question, if I'm good, will God bless me? They say, absolutely. If you're a good person, God will bless you. If you are having problems, it's because you either don't have enough faith or you have sinned. At the start of the book, Job firmly rejected that viewpoint and showed that he worshiped God simply because of who God is and that God is worthy of his worship whether he receives the blessings of God or not. But as, as Job's trials have continued, it would seem from the things he has said that he has faltered in that viewpoint. As his sufferings have gone on and on and on, Job seems, seemingly has become unsure of his viewpoint that we saw in the second chapter. So this rebuke from this young man named Elihu, although it is very sharp, it is very necessary that Job receive it. And for any of us that fall into the trap of thinking that uh, we deserve better than we are getting, that somehow God has not been fair to us, that God has not been righteous. You've heard me say over the years many, many times, the last thing I want from God is justice. I don't want God to give me what I deserve. Uh, I, I told some people I went to a, a birthday celebration a few weeks back. My high school class celebrated their 70th birthday. And so we were talking about things and they were talking about was I still working? Was I still uh, in the pastorate? Yes, I am. And it moved over into the area of finances and how, how much, you know, do preachers make? And one fellow said, do they pay you what you deserve? I said, thankfully, no. I couldn't live on that amount. That's not enough. I couldn't buy my groceries. They don't pay me what I deserve. They are gracious. They are merciful. 
God is the same way. I do not want justice from God. Job has deluded himself into thinking that he wants justice from God. And Elihu says, no, you don't either, Job. Let me explain that to you. Uh, like in the first two speeches, Elihu does, uh, takes a similar path here. He begins in the first three verses by repeating back to Job what Job has already said. He just restates Job's words. And then he gives an answer, or he refutes Job's argument. And then he gives a word of rebuke, a word of reproof in the last verses, 9 through 16. So the chapter begins Elihu's third discourse to Job. And he quoted Job, as I said, and then he refutes him. He begins by saying, do you think this to be just? He restates Job's contention that Job's suffering was not in direct proportion to the righteous life that he had lived. By Job's standard, of course, it was not. But the point that Elihu wants to make is that God is sovereign and he is free and that he can do as he pleases. Now Job has said, I will be cleared by God. In other words, Job claims that once the evidence of his innocent life is presented to God, he will be cleared of all of his charges and released from his suffering. Somehow forgetting that God knew all of that before any of it started. Uh, but anyway, Elihu then says in verse 3, Then you ask, what advantage have I? Job's complaint has been in several places that his goodness, his righteousness, had not got him anywhere. It had not availed him of any advantage with God. Job has concluded there is no advantage in being righteous. He's voiced that, that very argument twice in chapter 21 and chapter 34. And he says, the more that I suffer, the worse that it gets. So my suffering has only resulted in tragedy. From, so then, Job has come to the conclusion that there is no advantage to serving God. There's no value in it. And he asked, how am I better off than if I'd sinned? Job says, I just as well have sinned because there wasn't any advantage that I gained by being righteous, by being obedient. Uh, so again, Elihu is just quoting Job. And Job has reasoned out that not sinning had only led him to this life that he now experiences, one of suffering and of shame. So in verses 4 through 8, Elihu goes to some lengths to refute that and of the position of Job's three friends. And uh, Elihu here gives what the writer of the Proverbs would call the fateful wounds of a friend. Elihu doesn't give Job a teddy bear. He doesn't talk about unicorns and fairy tales. He gives it to Job really, really straight and says, Job, you are wrong. You have not 
you have come to a misunderstanding of who God is and of who you are. So he begins in verse 5 by talking about the transcendence of God. Look at the heavens. Look at the clouds. They are so far above you. Think about this. God is far above us. He lives far beyond this world of human mortals. And nothing you can do on earth is going to change what God is going to do. Remember what God says to Isaiah in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways and my thoughts above your ways and your thoughts. That's what Elihu is saying. Uh, You can murder. You can commit adultery. You can be generous. You can be faithful. And the clouds continue the same as they did before. You can't affect the sky because it is way up there. You cannot affect God either. God is transcendent. He is up there. He is beyond man. And so two things naturally follow from that. Negatively, now listen carefully, don't go off on a tangent here before I finish. But negatively, you can sin as much as you like, but that will not damage God. It will damage you. It will damage those around you. But it will not hurt God. You can't hurt God. God does not have passions as we do. Theologians call this his impassibility. He has passions, but not like men have. It's not the same thing. You, you cannot do damage to God. You, you, you cannot cause him to suffer. You cannot damage his essence. He doesn't cease to be God in any respect because of your sin or disobedience. Positively, God's transcendence means that no matter how good you are, you can't put God in your debt. You can't do so many good works that God is going to say, wow, boy, I'm glad to... I'm glad to have old Bob on my side. I owe him. Yeah, no, that ain't going to work. You, you cannot do that. Your good deeds do not give God anything. You know, the offering that we just received, the offering uh, of worship, it is worship. But listen, it doesn't enrich God. God, God already owns everything anyway. Everything you have really belongs to God. Oh no, it's mine, I work for it. Yeah. And whose will it be a minute after you're gone? You know, God gave it to us and we cannot enrich him by giving it back. We can enrich ourselves. We can propagate the cause of the gospel, but we do not enrich God. God in his very nature, in his Eternal blessedness is impassable. That is, he is not affected as other men are in their passions. And he's immutable. He's unchangeable. Whatever we do, good or bad, doesn't change God at all. 
our passions are different. Uh, when my children were disobedient, uh, it affected my passion. And it affected uh, parts of their anatomy as well, you see. But with God, that is not, that is not true. Now, Elihu is not suggesting, and neither am I, that God does not care how Job or we behave. That's not the argument. After all, Elihu is counseling Job to quit fighting God. He is, he is saying to him, submit to God. God is sovereign. He's free. God has not done you wrong. So Elihu is not saying, Job, I'm not, I don't, God doesn't care how you believe. God doesn't care how you behave. He is saying that since we cannot affect the blessedness of God by their actions, we should not expect to gain some kind of leverage from Him. In other words, Elihu is saying, listen, just because you are obedient doesn't mean you're not going to get cancer. Just because you are obedient does not mean your children may not go astray. Just because you are obedient does not mean you're not going to have problems. Elihu is just flat out refuting the prosperity gospel. He said, no, that's just not true. We cannot say to God, if I stop sinning, I expect that you will feel happier and that you will reward me. My, my stopping sinning will make you happier Therefore, I will be rewarded. We cannot say to God, listen, I've had a really good day and I'm sure my behavior has made you feel better. And so therefore now, I want you to pour out blessings on me. God, I've been really good today, so I'm going to expect something in return here. I'm going to, I'm going to want you uh, to reward me for my actions. So, the, the, the question, the question of what advantage may I expect to gain from my piety is the wrong question. It's a question that has not taken into account the impassibility and the immutability of God. I've not considered who God is. I must reconsider. And I must decide that I'm going to be obedient because God has commanded it. That's all that matters. Because remember, God is righteous. And everything that God commands is good. And it is proper. Whether or not I profit from it or not. In the short run. So, so in verses 9 through 16 now, Elihu uh, gives his rebuke of Job. Here's the situation, Elihu says. All over the world, there is oppression. And in this oppression, the oppressed cry out for help. Verse 9. So why doesn't God do something about it? Why isn't God helping all these people that are crying out? And what Elihu says is, they're not exercising faith. Look in verse 10. They don't ask, where is God my maker? That question, where is, is not seeking or asking for information, but rather it is that they are not 
They do not have a heart that is seeking after God. The very same thing is used in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 2, where Jeremiah said of unbelieving Judah, they did not say, where is the Lord? They are not seeking God. They only want God for what God can give them, not for God himself. So the problem is, these people cry out, but they're not praying. Not really. Not really praying. Their cry is a cry of anguish, but it is not a cry directed with faith to God. Elihu says that's what Job's been doing. He's crying out, but he's not crying out in faith. He doubts the goodness of God. And you cannot believe that God is not righteous and be praying in faith. Job has kind of shifted over into the idea of, God, you're not giving me what I deserve. Uh, you know, I'm not, I, I, I ought to be getting better than this. Elihu says that's not, that's not a cry of faith. That's not a prayer. The expression who gives songs in the night is unique in the Old Testament. No one knows exactly what Elihu is referring to here. He may be referring to songs of trust that are sung by believers in dark times are more likely the objective songs that God gives us in the night, the morning stars, the, the, uh, the morning stars that are proof that the dawn is coming, that it's not going to remain dark forever. The morning stars tell us another, another day is going to come. Whatever the meaning the people Elihu is speaking about it are not really praying. And so God does not answer. Their cry, he says, in verse 12, he says, they do cry out, but their cry is empty. The, the word means vain or worthless. Their cry comes from an unbelieving heart. This is uncomfortable stuff. Elihu is not saying now either that everybody who cries out in pain all over the world are not crying out in faith. Remember the, the, the widow uh, that Jesus tells about in Luke chapter 18. She was crying out in faith. Uh, but he is saying that there are many people who are in hard times whose cry is not a prayer. And the point of this becomes evident in verses 14, 15, and 16, Elihu hones in on Job himself. Job has complained that he cannot see God, that his case is before God, and that God has been waiting to give his verdict or to hear his case. Job is perplexed that God doesn't seem to punish evildoers, and he doesn't seem to notice transgression. Elihu is saying, Job, the problem with you is that your talk to God is empty. It's worthless. It's not in faith. Therefore, it is not a prayer. It is an empty cry. Elihu describes Job in verse 16 as a man who speaks words without knowledge. So what is Elihu saying to Job? He's telling Job, that as long as he keeps saying these outrageous, uh, impious things about God, 
he cannot expect God to answer him. Job, if you keep saying that God is not righteous, that God is not fair, that God doesn't have any right to do what he's doing, then don't expect God to answer you. If you're crying out in prayer over some problem in your life, and in doing that, you are suggesting that God is not righteous, that God has wronged you somehow, that cry is worthless. It is empty. Why would we think, as sinful human beings, that we deserve any better than what we're getting from God? I, I, I wonder oftentimes why I get so much. Why is God so good? It is a characteristic of fallen men that no matter what we have, we always want more. You know, I, I used to, I used to uh, listen a lot to Dr. Adrian Rogers, and Dr. Rogers used to say that it, man, you know, if man had the whole world, he'd want the moon fenced in for a potato patch. That's true. No matter how much we have, we want more. No matter how, God, how good God is to us, if we don't get more, then God has wronged us. Again, Elihu is saying words that are the wounds of a faithful friend. He is telling Job what he needs to hear. God is going to say almost exactly the same thing to Job. When, when, when God begins to speak to Job, he says, Job, sit up. You listen to me, I'll tell you. I mean, you've said a lot of things, and they have not been right. In, in this uncompromising way, Job is doing, uh, Elihu is doing Job a much greater favor than if someone had come and patted him on the shoulder and said, oh, Job, you're right. Boy, God's just not been, he's not been good to you. I mean, boy, you've got a raw deal, Job. You just, you know. Elihu is challenging head on our natural and instinctive but sinful expectation that our virtue can put God in our debt. Job thought that because he had lived this blameless life, and he had, that God owed him. And when all of these things happened to him, God was not being righteous. He was not being fair. And that when he cried out to God about how unrighteous and unfair God was, God would hear him. Neither is true. For God is beyond us. God is unchangeable in his nature. He is consistent in his determination to listen only to the prayers of those who seek him because he is God, not for what they can get from him. So are your prayers truly prayers? Are you seeking God because he is God? Or are you seeking God because of what you hope to gain from him? That's, that's what Elihu is dealing with here. He is urging Job, Job, just, just worship God. Because he's God. For no other reason than that. And he is God. In just a moment we're going to stand and sing.